Have you ever wondered how your sales performance compares against your competitors and peers? The B2B Sales Benchmark Report provides the definitive guide to what success looks like in 2021. See how you compare in terms of win rate, sales cycle, average deal value, relationships, and engagement. You can see the results and get the full report at ebster.com forward slash B2B dash sales dash benchmarks. We should be looking at that. We should be using that type of data to make some predictive analytics on, let's figure out who is ripe for growth before they necessarily even tell us. Let's figure out who's at risk before they tell us. And we do that using the go-to-market data and the commercial data and the engagement data. But we can also do that using the actual product data. So that's what I'm super excited about. This is Sales Ops Demystified, the number one most downloaded podcast in sales operations. We invite the brightest minds in sales ops onto the show to deconstruct the what, why, and how behind rep productivity, forecasting, metrics, and all things revenue. This podcast is brought to you by EBSA, a revenue intelligence platform used to identify risk in the pipeline and score customer engagement and is sponsored by the Global Sales Operations Association and the UK Revenue Operations Network. Hello. And welcome to another very special episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. Today, we're joined by someone who has an incredible work history. Uh, We're going to dig into that in the early parts of the show. Currently, Nicole Bradshaw is the Senior Director of Business Operations at Passable. Nicole, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Tom. Thanks for having me. So I first want to jump into your, your work history because we've got some big brand names. So Pardot, Salesforce, Campaign Monitor, all in sales ops. But actually, I want to start this discussion off by your work history pre-sales ops, where it seems to me that you were involved uh, with, the, with some kind of government agencies. Um, for, for whatever you can share about that, um, how, has, how did that work help you prep for the world of sales ops or business operations? Yeah, that's a great question. I actually get that question quite a lot. Um, so I was in intelligence analysis straight out of college, and it's a shockingly transferable skill set for ops in that the role was all about consuming as much information as you could and figuring out what trends existed and making recommendations based off of those trends. So as you can imagine, you just change the nature of the data that you're looking at, and it's the same skill set, right? It's find the patterns, uh, look at the data, figure out like what should we do? What would be the implications of what we would do with that? So um, I think it's actually quite similar, but it's hard for people to believe me sometimes. So that's the, the how, um, the, the skills transfer. The other question I'd like to ask is, is why did you transfer? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, You know, I really loved doing the intelligence analysis work. It was fascinating. I was constantly learning. And there just kind of came a point in my life when you you really want to live in very specific geos. 
to do that work if you're kind of at the top of your game. And I wasn't really ready to make that commitment. I, I wanted to be able to have a little bit more flexibility in my personal life and live in different parts of the country than just DC. So um, that was a big part of why I did leave government work. I think there was also an element of like, I am just super um, curious and super driven, always want to learn more. And, you know, government is very admirable work, but it tends to be a lot more slow moving. And, and that was something that was difficult for me with my impatience. I've, we, we've had guests on before that when we ask, we ask a question later on in the episode and I, maybe I won't share it so it can be a surprise if you haven't heard it yet. But we, we basically ask who in the world of sales would you like to get to know more? And historically, a guest has said, I would just like to get to know anybody who's done a sales ops at Salesforce. Because just because obviously you're at the forefront of the whole sales tech and the sales world. What was that experience like versus one of your other roles at obviously great companies, but maybe not the companies weren't at the forefront of the, the world of sales? Yeah, it, obviously it was incredible. And I got to learn from the best of the best. I was actually quite privileged to end up in that role because it stemmed from working at Pardot when it was a startup and being in that role and in a strategy and operations role on the CS side of the house when we got acquired by Salesforce. So it was just like a very nice way of getting ushered in where they took really great care of us as an acquisition and let us um, continue learning, continue growing within our ecosystem while slowly folding us in and getting to learn from those leaders. Um, I think that was such a great way to see not just like how it worked super well at a small startup like Pardot, but then moving to a Fortune 500 company and seeing how you can do something so well and it looks so different, right? Because at Salesforce, they have so many resources. Everyone's scope. Everyone is a very deep specialist. Versus when I joined Pardot, it was like 40 people and everyone was kind of really good at lots and lots of things. And so kind of the difference between being um, a jack of all trades and being just like, exceptionally good at your thing. Makes sense. Uh, we're jumping around all over the place here, but I'm so excited about this interview. The Right now, your role is in business operations. You you just mentioned at Pardot, you are on the CS side. Where does, maybe a better question for, you to, for me to ask right now is business operations, is that broader than revenue operations? So, so you're looking at ops, not just within marketing, CS and sales. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, so we are uh, supporting uh, systems, supporting processes, and supporting um, data and analysis across the organization. Awesome. How much of your of your focus or time would you say is on those revenue functions versus other places? Yeah. So, since that's where I came from, obviously it's an overwhelming majority of the time that I spend. But what I'm really focused on is trying to scale that so that I can kind of grow my team members into fully owning the go-to-market. We can start diving a little bit deeper in some of the parts that we haven't done historically. So, you know, it, it's kind of a natural evolution where you think about revenue being marketing, sales, and CS. Why wouldn't product data be tied to that, right? Such a huge part of retention and growth. It's kind of just the natural way of, of how RevOps should grow is suddenly... While we may still have the RevOps title, we should be looking at that. We should be using that type of data to make some predictive analytics on, let's figure out who is ripe for growth before they necessarily even tell us. Let's figure out who's at risk before they tell us. And we do that using 
the go-to-market data and the commercial data and the engagement data. But we can also do that using the actual product data. So that's what I'm super excited about moving into kind of that biz ops world. So we're talking about the, the trend from sales to RevOps going even further, or you, or you and Nicole see value in that trend going even, th- even further. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I kind of think of sales ops, rev ops, biz ops, anything in strategy and operations as I describe it as kind of like a conspiracy theorist's wall where your role is really to find the connections that don't seem like they exist because you know how interconnected everything is. You know how interconnected the full end-to-end customer journey is and how the systems are connected and how the processes are connected and how obviously then the data is all connected. And so we get to be that voice of, I know that marketing is doing this and I know that CS is doing this and they actually are impacting each other. Let's make sure that they're all in the room together. Makes sense. Could you share the the breakdown of the ops function at, at the business, um, specifically the number of people in the team and then which areas of the business that they are supporting, if that is the case? Yeah, so we're a super lean team right now. We're working on building that out. Um, we have a go-to-market ops lead who is responsible for systems and processes across the go-to-market functions. We have a a data analyst for product and growth. So really diving in deep on the really complex data available to us in that world. Um, And then we are hoping to hire some extra hands to help us with the actual execution of launching campaigns and launching um, some of the tracking that we need to to make decisions with. We also would like to to hire a full-time enablement person as well, because that's so crucial in change management and accountability and all of that good stuff to take the work that our team is doing and make sure that it's actually getting executed upon. So that's kind of how we've structured the team. And of course, we're also hiring for a marketing ops person. Um, If anybody listening is interested, uh, Nicole, can people add you on LinkedIn and send you their CV? Always. That's the best way. Amazing. Now let's try and get a bit more specific. On your LinkedIn profile, you mentioned about how a part of um, there was some work that you did on reducing churn. Could you explain what you implemented and what the results were from that activity? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually started at Parda as a CSM, so had that hands-on experience. And you know, as I mentioned, it was forty people, so the CSM team was about three folks. And what we were doing was cultivating that relationship, and it became super clear that. We were doing it well. We just weren't actually keeping tabs on metrics around how well we were doing it or how could we make it repeatable? So if we doubled the team, how would we make sure we set up the new CSMs for success? And so um, part of that was building out processes and figuring out what is our touch point. Now we know it's called customer journey mapping, but at the time it wasn't as much of a buzzword. Um, So we were essentially customer journey mapping. And then we were taking the customer journey mapping and saying, what does that mean for us process-wise? What do we need to capture in Salesforce? What do we need to set like a recurring deliverable on to analyze the information that we were capturing? Who needs to be in the room when we review that information? So that was a big part of just kind of laying the groundwork for what our team's responsibilities and impact to the business were. Because again, like at a company that small, people know and trust each other and the impact they're making, but we were expecting huge growth and we needed to make sure that we could scale some of that messaging as well. Awesome. What, um, going into 2021, what are the big couple of focuses that the ops team have are moving into this year? 
Yeah. So for our organization, we are actually completely changing up the go-to-market approach that we have, um, not the least of which is we are dividing our sales organization into land versus expand sellers. So as you can imagine, there's kind of a domino effect of roles and responsibilities, but also processes and systems. And what does that look like? And as I mentioned earlier, like the interconnectedness of that and making sure those transitions are all smooth on both the like customer side as well as internally. Um, so we've got a lot of work on our plates right now. Yeah, I mean, that. Th- this, uh, uh, maybe I'm speaking from experience, but going through a sales process, being treated amazingly, the, all this knowledge is build up in this rep who's been amazing. And then you, you're, handed, you're handed over to CS rep who, who may be just as amazing, but they don't have the context. And so I totally agree. Um, is there anything else that you guys are going to be looking at over this year? Yeah, I think I mentioned it as already, but basically making sure that we're using our data more often in the conversations. Um, you know, we never want to discount the anecdotal inputs, but we also want to make sure we supplement it with the data. So looking at the usage data and making sure that our sales team is actually well-versed and that data is democratized. Um, that's a big, big OKR for us. How involved are you guys in the forecasting process? We are definitely involved. Um, it's actually been something that's been a very interesting challenge for the calendar year 2020, I think, for everyone. And so... Are you guys responsible for pulling out the forecast from, from Salesforce and then presenting that to the management team? Like if the ops team, there, there isn't a separate uh, sales management function doing that. So it's kind of a joint effort between sales ops and the sales leadership. Um, so we have this uh, collaborative call for forecasting where obviously the sales leadership will, will share their line-by-line perspective. And then what will inevitably happen, especially in 2020, were questions around, okay, but what could that actually mean when it comes to the impact of COVID on the economy and on our customers? And so it was really interesting to try to think creatively about that. So we we tried to, to take a couple of different creative approaches on that. I think early on, it was what is a number we can look at that might be a leading indicator on things slowing down or things stalling out? Because um, obviously, if you look at stage duration, by the time it's it's been sitting in stage, it's too late. It's kind of a lagging indicator. And so we started trying to look at like, responsiveness, time to a response to an email, has that taken longer than it has previously because people are swamped with other things uh, or because people had to close down their factories because of COVID. So um, that's a big part of it. And I think also kind of the broader economic trends were a big part of it, which I honestly haven't had be part of the forecast conversation before 2020. And it was very much, okay, we know that we feel good about this deal, but let's go look at some of the stock market indexes and see if like, the market as a whole feels good about the direction that they're going in and kind of supplementing the forecast with that as well. Yeah, all of those factors. Or yeah, it definitely seems like these other extra data points should be pulled into the forecast to attempt to make it more accurate. And yeah, I'm sure 2020 was a um, turbulent one. On that note, how uh, remote were you guys before the start of last year? And how have you aided the business in becoming more remote throughout 2020 and maybe even into 2021? Yeah, that's a great question. So I actually was hired to be full-time remote, um, but that happened right when everyone went full-time remote. So um, it's been very interesting. I feel like I'm probably about three to six months behind when it comes to relationship building and rapport building, just because it slows things down when you're virtual. Um, I would say... That's probably the biggest difference for me. The actual work itself, 
doing remotely is not too challenging. Thankfully, you know, our tech stacks are where they are um, and it wasn't too difficult to transition to working from home. But in reality, it was that building the credibility and building the trust with a totally new organization when you haven't seen any of them face-to-face. We definitely have had to adjust, definitely had to be more comfortable repeating myself and just understand like that is an impact of working remotely is because we're not all sitting in a room together. We maybe heard something in passing on a Zoom, but we're all multitasking on Zoom. So why not repeat it four more times Um, and just getting comfortable with maybe more making that a habit, I would say. Um, So that's a big part of it. And then also obviously making so much time for one-on-ones. And again, just understanding what people care about, which means that our calendars have all blown up as a result of working remotely. But I think it's obviously time well invested. Makes sense. And it it, kind of makes sense also that you joined the business to be fully remote anyway, based on what you were saying earlier about the, the lifestyle of not necessarily having to live in DC or even a big city, I guess. Yeah, exactly right. Amazing. Nicole, we're now at the final question. Who in the world of sales ops, actually, I'm going to broaden this out. Who who in the world of operations would you most like to take for lunch? Oh my gosh, that's such a difficult question. I would literally take anyone to lunch who who has a non-traditional background in operations. Those are the folks that I feel like I learned the most from. Um, So... Gosh, I don't know that I could name a name, but I can kind of tell you the folks that I've I've really looked up to and I've considered mentors in my career, like a CMO who came from the product world and like a chief customer officer who came from marketing and a head of sales that came from finance. Those are the those are the folks I'd be looking for. That's a super interesting point. Obviously, because you have made that career switch. It, it does beg the question and how much do you need to be in the same career for the in the same role for the whole of your career? And I think maybe five, 10 years ago that was the case. But now as things change so fast, it, it, if you have it's almost an advantage to come from a completely different career and have less experience in something. Would would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. And and as you mentioned, things change so fast that you need people who aren't tied down to the status quo. And that's often people who didn't grow up in it or didn't grow their careers in that status quo. And so they can think more more freely about it. I mean, I find myself getting caught up in the same thing because I've been in this ops world for so long, trying to like push pause, take an hour to myself and think like, if I were not in this role, what would I be doing to solve this problem? I think that's that's been the biggest challenge is find time to think more creatively about your your day-to-day issues, right? Nicole, it was an eye-opening conversation. I think the, the the thing that we haven't really covered before in episodes that I think was most interesting is your uh, the focus that you have on data. And actually, the data doesn't fall necessarily into departments and therefore, why should the ops team? And so maybe this trend towards business operations will also continue. Or not business operations, a more unified approach to operations. So, yeah, definitely what I'm hoping. <laughs> Amazing. So if anybody is listening and you have, well, if you don't have experience in marketing ops, but you would like to work in Nicole's team, then uh, Nicole Bradshaw, passable on LinkedIn, ping Nicole your CV. And aside from that, Nicole, I want to thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much, Tom. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. 
If you are listening on a podcast listening application, then please subscribe, rate, and review. And if you have any questions about the show, if you know a guest, or if you have any questions about sales operations, just hit me up at tomhunt at ebster.com. That's tomhunt at ebster.com. 